Well, hello there. I greet you with Jesus' joy and what a wonderful delight it is for us to have another opportunity to study the Word of God. I've been away for a couple of weeks and it's certainly good to be back in the saddle again to be able to share with you all the unsearchable riches of our Christ's gospel. Uh, I take wonderful delight that the Lord has allowed for us to come back together again to be able to study God's word, to grow, as well as become all that God will have for us to be. So I want you to do me a favor, if you wouldn't mind, um, share this with uh, uh, many people as far as your platform is concerned. We want to uh, try to have as many people on our Bible study as possible. Got a lot of wonderful things that are coming down the pipe, and so I'm looking forward to the Lord doing some great things. Um, before I uh, get started, uh, I want to have a word of prayer. And also just let you all know, for those that don't know, that um, we have begun our official launch and run for uh, the president of the General Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. So I am soliciting your prayers as far as this endeavor is concerned and um, trying to kind of follow in the legacy of my predecessor, Dr. Greg Moss who uh, served as a wonderful president during the time that he uh, had that particular office. And uh, I believe that coming out of this pandemic, I have some skills and talents and gifts, thanks to St. Paul, that I can lend as far as our General Baptist State Convention, if they're willing to uh, have me. So um, lift me and my team up in prayer as we uh, begin this pursuit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, as we prepare our time for uh, study and let's sense and seek what the Lord wants to do as far as this moment is concerned. God, we come to you and we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to study your word, to grow and to become all that you want us to be. As we prepare to make a deep dive into Galatians chapter six, verses one through five, we pray that the Wonderful teacher who is the Holy Spirit will come and teach us your precepts and let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. God, show yourself mighty and strong as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I see many of you all that are joining us and I see um, your comments in the chat. Uh, so great to see you, Denise and uh, Brother Adrian and Eloise and Ted and Sister Valerie. Uh, thank you all for uh, your chat and Sister Boleg. Uh, great to, to see you all as far as uh, this uh, time is concerned. Galatians chapter 6, we want to look at verses 1 through 5 as far as uh, our time uh, together is concerned. And we want to unpack this uh, with some, some great uh, intentionality. So uh, if you wouldn't mind um, turning to that right now. And let's prepare to navigate this particular space. Galatians chapter six, verses one through five. And I'm gonna have you all to highlight some words, uh, circle some words, underline some phrases uh, that I want to focus in on as we do the deep dive as far as today's sharing is concerned. Galatians chapter six, verse one through five, New King James Version reads like this. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in 
a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Do me a favor. Circle the word brethren. Highlight the phrase, any trespass. And then I want you to underline you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Underline all of that. Okay. Verse two, bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. Highlight bear one another's burden and circle the word bear. Verse three, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Highlight all of that. <laughs> Highlight all of that. Verse four, but let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Highlight the phrase, but let each one examine his own work. And I want you to circle the word examine, circle the word examine. Verse five, for each one shall bear his own load. Highlight all of verse five, circle the word bear in verse five, Joy. Draw a line from the word bear in verse five to bear in verse two. And these are going to have two different connotations, but I want you to, to, to make that connection. All right. Okay. All right. So let's begin to have uh, the deep dive as far as um, our time together is concerned as we sense and seek what it is that the Lord will do. First thing that I want to share with you all is that, remember, Paul has been addressing false teachers who infiltrated the church at Galatia, the Judaizers, telling people, hey, listen, if you really want to be a Christian, if you want to really want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to get circumcised and you got to keep the law of Moses. And Paul was debunking all of that, saying, no, you are saved because of your your faith in Jesus Christ by grace. It's not of your works. It's not of anything that you do. And he was trying to debunk all of that. So we're getting to what we would call the end of, 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 of this, this particular chapter. And it, well, this really this particular book. And as we do the deep dive, as far as this book is concerned, um, Paul is dealing with some things as far as restoration whenever anyone messes up. And I really want to unpack this with great intentionality, and I hope and pray that it will bless you uh, in a tremendous way. Because I think that oftentimes when it comes to the church, um, there are several things that we don't do well. First of all, we don't help people to process when they jack up <laughs> or when they mess up or when they fall short. We don't do that well. We don't hold people accountable when they sin. We, we don't do that well. The other thing we don't do well is that when someone does mess up, we don't do the aspect of restoration well. Paul lays it so clear in this particular text how we ought to flow as far as that is concerned. So let's look at it in verse six, brethren, 
if any man is overtaken in any trespass, that word trespass basically means sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves lest you also be tempted. Paul is dealing with, in this particular text, uh, the potential situation of a Christian who has messed up. And it is the thought, watch this, of someone running from sin, but the sin overtaking them and tackling them and dropping them down. Now, this particular verse right here shows how legalists would respond. And if you read how legalists would respond, um, all you got to do is just look at John 8. When the woman was caught in adultery, they brought the woman that was caught in adultery, threw her at the feet of Jesus, said, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And then if you will look at Acts um, 27, uh, Acts 21, verse 27 through 29, it talks about how there was a crowd that tried to lay hands on Paul. So um, interestingly, legalists want to try to kill folks. <laughs> legalists want to take folks out. But let's look at what Paul says. That, 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 that should be done. And, and it's, really, it's really absolutely incredible. He says, brethren, if any man is overtaken with any trespass or with any sin, you who are spiritual, restore. I, I need you to, I really need you to circle that word restore. Restore. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. All right. I just share with you how legalists would process someone that is caught in a sin. Cut them up, deal with them, get rid of them. Hasta luego. Paul is saying that as Christian, we should restore. Now, there, there, there's something fundamental that I really want to give lift to right now when we talk about restoration. First of all, the understanding of restore was used back then for resetting broken bones, number one, then or for mending fishnets. So when we talk about restoring, you either reset the bone so it could heal properly or nets that had holes in them, you would sew them back up to get rid of the hole. Now, the task of restoration, check this out, is not to be taken by new people in the faith, but by those who are spiritual. That is, believers who are walking in the spirit. And that goes back to Galatians 5.16 uh, and who are mature in the faith. In other words, you don't do or leave the aspect of restoring someone who has messed up to a new believer. You don't leave it to a person who has been in the church a long time, but they ain't demonstrating the gifts or, or, or demonstrating walking in the spirit. This is specifically for people who are spiritual. This means they have a high level of maturity to be able to engage in restoration. Now, 
I, I could spend this whole Bible study just on verse one, but we're going to cover all of verse five, all five verses today. Paul is really driving home the point because, first of all, he says he calls them brothers. Um, um, uh, he, 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 is, he is making this shift uh, of dealing with, with, with the people of Galatia as brother, as friend. And he is addressing the problem of individual sin, check this out, by explaining the corporate or the group responsibility. Now, this is what I got to drive home to you all. You may sin by yourself, but because you're part of the body of Christ, it affects the whole body. Let me say it again. You may sin by yourself, but because you're part of the body of Christ, it affects the whole body. So it's, it's just like, say, for instance, um, my foot is not my eye, but my foot impacts the whole body if it's in pain. So what we got to understand is that our reaction to other Christian sin ought not to be how we can rid the church of sinners, but rather we should help our brothers and sisters who are fellow members of the body of Christ become better. All right. Now, let me drive this home. Because Paul is really, he's really um, um, given a balanced approach in verse one. Those of you who are spiritual, again, mature in the faith, been in the faith for a long time. Again, this is not for a new believer to do the business of restoration. All right? All right? He says that you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Why the spirit of gentleness? Because guess what? We all fall. We all mess up. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. John Stott, who is one of my favorite um, uh, favorite theologians, he, he says it like this. The correct attitude to other people is not that I am better than you and I'll prove it or you're better than I and I resent it, but you are a person of importance in your own right because God made you in his own image and Christ died for you. And it is my joy and privilege to serve you. This is what restoration is all about. Now, let me, let me really drive this home. And let me see if I can really make this plain for us. Because what we got to understand is that uh, whenever we mess up, whenever we fall short, particularly in the church, there are people, those inside and outside of church, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to put this, that just love mess. Okay, folks love mess and they love to see mess become messy. <sighs> Because of social media, uh, because the church in today's society has been upended as far as integrity and and uh, honesty and character development, because of so much stuff that has happened in the church, 
there are people who delight in exposing the sins of those who claim to be believers. They love to say, see, I told you them Christians ain't nothing. Bunch of hypocrites, da, 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 da. And it's sad but true that often others knew about the wrongdoing but did nothing. All right. Silence or inaction regarding sin in the church tends to be read by outsiders as you condoning the sin. But in reality, people have disobeyed God's instruction and should be confronted with their sin. Now, this is what we got to do when we deal with exposure by failing to deal with sin among ourselves in a biblical way, in a biblical way. We bring ridicule from the culture and we don't help ourselves or our brothers and sisters by hiding their problem or by instantly expelling them. So you don't have the problem, but you don't kick folks out if they're not willing to do the work of repentance and reconciliation. Here's what needed. Watch this. Appropriate confrontation, number one. Confession by the person. In other words, that person got to realize, I screwed up. Restoration. All right? Restoration. Watch this. Restitution. You know, if I did something wrong and I owe something, let me pay it back and then forgiveness. And that makes the culture have a hard time swallowing that pill. Because watch this. It could no longer excuse its own sin by pointing to believers failing. And then number two, we will weaken the sensational, the, the sensational quality of exposing a cover up in the church. So in other words, when you confront when there's confession by the person that has done wrong, when there is restoration and restitution, payback for the wrong done, and when there's forgiveness, world ain't got much to say about that. Am I making any sense? I hope, I hope I'm making sense. So it, it ain't sweeping stuff under the rug, but also at the same time, it's not putting folks out unless, check this out, they're not willing to confess, restore, and give restitution. Because notice, confrontation and forgiveness are the bookends. You got to have confession, restoration, restitution. All right? Confession, restoration, restitution. Okay? Now, I don't know what sin that, 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 that Paul is dealing with in, in this particular text. Doesn't matter. No church, indeed no believer, is ever totally, completely free of sin because even the most saved among us or the most spiritual among us still have some shortcomings. But what it does mean is that we ought to be doing everything we can to promote restoration. So, so I share with you all what restoration looks like. Resetting a broken bone, fish, uh, mending a fishnet, uh, and it does not happen easily or simply. Sometimes those who are stung with self-discovery will reject our efforts to help. And we got to continue to press them in the process because God views the restored person as very valuable. I think I'm doing some good teaching today. Watch this. Believers may have wondered how the church should deal with members who have fallen into sin. You don't ignore the sin, uh, but you don't do a public humiliation of the sinner. 
because that's not going to accomplish anything either. But those who are spiritual, men and women who walk in the spirit, in the sense that Paul explained at the end of chapter five, when he talked about those, the fruit of the spirit, those who are mature in the faith and mature enough to handle the situation should properly deal with it. In other words, again, new immature believers should not be dealing with the delicate subject of sin and sinners in the church. And in addition, mature believers should discern when to confront sin because sin exists in every church. Every person's fault does not need to be dragged into the light for everybody to see, but persistent sin must be dealt with. Now, this is how the legalists do it. This is how the legalists do it. The legalists wants to kill you. But those of us that know something about the grace of God want to do everything that we can for restoration. Um, legalists, they can't bend. They can't be flexible. Depending on their own degree of success, you have legalists who have a holier-than-thou, better-than-you, false pride attitude and don't have love and forgiveness. And anytime you find yourself bloating in the failure of somebody else, you might just be a legalist. You might just be a legalist. All right? So all I'm trying to do is drive home this point that when a person mess up, you don't neglect them, but you don't reject them either, as if they were lost. Mature believers help that person get right back on track. Now, some folks huh, have an issue with being told, because you're judging me. And that's the thing that we love to say. You know, you can't judge me, only God can judge you. All right, yeah, okay. Here, 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 here's what I can do. I can't sentence you to heaven or hell, but I can tell you when you're right and when you're wrong. That ain't judging. All right. If I see you doing wrong, I can call you to accountability. That is not judging. And we need to stop that. We need to stop that. We need to stop that. Here is what mature believers should be doing. Mature believers help the person get right back on track, encourage repentance, have accountability, give help where needed. And when that and 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 when we see that person repent, we we receive them back in the church. That's what church discipline is all about. And we should do it what with gentleness. With gentleness. Why? Because this is what Paul says at, at the end of, of, of verse one. And like I said, I could just spend this whole time teaching on verse one. Paul says, Those of you who are spiritual, restore one in such spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves. He's talking about those that are spiritually mature. Considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. So the reason that Paul talks about those who are spiritual and basically those who are spiritual mature to do this, because Paul knows, Paul knows that those of us who are spiritually mature have an idea that we ain't too far from where this person has messed up too. So when he says those of us that are spiritually mature, he is saying that basically... Those of us who are spiritually mature are called to do the restoration by virtue of the fact that spiritual pride has less of a tendency of catching us off guard. Or we might not be as apt to be 
tripped up by the same temptation. So in situations that the apostle is describing, those who restore a fallen brother can face two temptations. Be tempted to be puffed up in pride or fall to the same temptation. All Paul is saying is, listen, I need folks who are spiritually mature to do this because you recognize you just one sheet in the wind from doing the same thing that they did. Am I making any sense? Am I making any sense? So, so any, here's the thing. Anytime that I hear a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ saying, you can't judge me, I know you are not spiritually mature. Ooh, put that in the chat. Ooh, put that in the chat. Let me say it one more time. Put that in the chat. Anytime I hear a Christian saying you can't judge me or you can't tell me when, when I'm right or wrong, I know that you are not spiritually mature. Even I, as your pastor, have people that hold me accountable. I have mentors. I have my family. I have other people that, that, that tell me when I go off kilter, man, you know, hey, you know, so, 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 so I, I'm, I'm just saying this. You can take it or leave it. Because <laughs> uh, uh, notice what Paul says in verse two. Paul says, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilled the, the law. As a fellow believer, we got to help each other with our loads. Okay. As a believer, we're called to give lift to one another. All right. The word bear one another's burden really is talking about giving a helping hand with heavy loads. Though the principle would apply to all burdens, the context has special reference to heavy and oppressive weight of temptation and spiritual failure, okay? So when we talk about bear one another burden, in this context, it is dealing with temptation and spiritual failure. That's why those who are spiritual got to do the work of restoration. All believers are to become involved in prayer and encouragement for those who might be messing up. So Paul uses the word bear in three different understandings uh, in this letter. If you have remember reading in, uh, I believe, Galatians 5.10, he said, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment. Okay. Basically, Paul was saying in that particular instance, that any false teacher among you will pay the penalty for spreading error and confusion among the Christians. In this particular, in, 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 in verse five, we see that he says, for each shall bear his own load, which means that each believer shall carry his own backpack, his own shoulder pack, his own traveling load, okay? In this verse, verse two, bearing burdens refer to heavy and oppressive loads that a believer cannot carry alone. Financial burdens, emotional burdens, burdens of temptation. We are called 
to help bear one another's loads that others find too heavy to carry by themselves. However, we must not regard this load as a burden, but as a joy. All right. So how, how do we bear one another's burden? Number one, love one another. Two, encourage one another. Three, be at peace with one another. Four, serve one another. Five, show kindness and honor to one another. Six, instruct one another. Seven, forgive one another. Eight, pray for one another. And nine, uh, don't engage in judging one another as far as sentencing folks to heaven or hell. All right. All right. Okay. Now, and, and this is this is why teaching is so important, because I have to help you to understand what it means to really judge. Because in our context, many people think, well, you can't judge me. You can't tell me when I'm right or wrong. That ain't judging. That's correction. Judging is basically when someone tries to sentence you forever and a day. I am at the point now. You got to help people to understand accountability because folks don't want accountability. They link accountability with judging. So I'm letting you know right now. Anytime I hear a Christian say, you can't judge me, I know that you lack spiritual maturity. Because basically what you're saying is you can't correct me. All right. Let me see how I can, how I can drive, drive home verse two. Because Paul wants us to understand that as we bear one another's burdens, we should be doing it with a sense of joy. That joy that's how we feel the law of Christ. No Christian should ever think that he or she is totally independent and don't need help from any other. Here's one of the things that get me as far as days people in church are concerned. You know, you hear some people and you hear some preachers say, I don't need nobody. It's just me and the Lord. I don't need nobody. Da, 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 da. That, 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 that ain't, that ain't how, that's not how God wants you to live life independent of others. We all need each other. All right. We all need help from somebody. And the purpose of the body of Christ, the church, only functions at maximum capacity when we're all working together for the common good. Okay. Um, we all need somebody. That's that's why that's why Jesus said, I've given you a new commandment. Love one another as I've loved you, that you may also love one another. By this, men will know you're my disciples if you have love for each other. Okay. Let's let's continue to drill down. Paul says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Something must be laid aside if a believer is going to be a burden bearer, and that is arrogance. Um, that is arrogance, an attitude that breeds intolerance of error in others and calls one to think that he is above failure. In other words, if I'm going to bear somebody's burden and help someone, I can't come in the spirit of arrogance or conceit thinking I'm better than you. Now, some believers ain't going to follow Paul's command to help bear one another's burden because they think they're better than others. 
they consider themselves too spiritual to dirty themselves with other folks' shortcomings. <laughs> God dirtied God's self when he sent Jesus with our shortcomings. All right. Paul was anxious to warn the Galatians, don't tolerate spiritual superiority, no matter how pretty it looks. You don't walk around with your chest stuck out like you are super Christian. Because that's when the devil can get the best of you. Okay. All right. And here's the thing. When you read this particular text, Paul was confronting teachers, the Judaizers, who were very intolerant of people who were not willing to submit to their way of doing things or submit to circumcision. Paul was trying to really help the Judaizers by confronting them with their false teaching that if they believe him, they would be in a position to really embrace the gospel in full. When you believe the word of God as truth, sooner or later you will find yourself in disagreement with those who do not believe. All right. So that's not a matter of intolerance. That is a matter of you standing on the principle of the word of God. But notice what Paul says. Paul says, um, for anyone who thinks of himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Paul wants us to understand that regardless of how much God, Jesus, Holy Spirit we got, we should never think that we're so good or so spiritual that we can't help somebody. All right. Because here's the here, here is the blessing of the text. Other folks ain't the standard. God is. And when we measure ourselves against the standard of God, none of us amount to anything. The only way that we are made right is not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I hope I'm, I hope I'm blessing somebody right now. Okay. By the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The, the only way that we're really somebody in the church is when we yield to the spirit being operative in our lives by demonstrating the fruit as far as our lives are concerned. All right. So let me let, let let me drill down. He says, but let each one of you examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Ooh, this is where this is where it gets real, real good, real, real good. Paul says in so many words, the remedy for arrogance is in verse four when we are told to look at ourselves. Rather than comparing himself with others, take a step back, look at what you have done in your accomplishments, and then watch this. Rejoice or take pride in yourself over what God has done in and through your life. Now, hopefully, I will give a different perspective on what positive pride looks like. Because really what 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 Paul is trying to drive home here is that Paul wants us to understand that God ain't got no issue with you feeling good about good stuff that you do. 
While some people may be conceited regarding their burden bearer, burden bearing or helping others, others may feel as though they can't bear burdens as well. And so there are those who might be afraid uh, of helping somebody because they might not be able to give them lift. But Paul is saying, basically, look at where you are. Understand where you are. Grow where you are. Take pride in what God has done as far as your life is concerned when you know that basically you ain't the one that was able to do it. All right. All right. Now, watch this because I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to do deep dive because here's a problem with a lot of us in church. Do you know there's some folks who help in church, but they help not with the intention of helping, but, but with the intention of exploiting. Or they want to help you so they can get your trust, so they can put your stuff out there. All right. Paul is saying, examine your own work. Examine your own work. See what God is trying to do. All right. Uh, uh, here, here, here is what Paul is really providing for us. Paul says, I want you to scrutinize you. <laughs> uh, uh, we know that God has prompted us to, to bear one another's burden. So we got to ask if we did. We got to ask if we've been a blessing. All right. Good pride. Ooh, I'm getting ready to bless somebody because this, this, this going for anyone that's watching this, get ready to bless you. Good pride, not bad pride. Good pride is being able to say, I have lived up to the potential God gave me. <laughs> we're not going to be judged on the basis of how we matched up with others, but we're going to be judged based on how we met God's expectations. I am not the standard. Other preachers are not the standard. The, 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 the deacons are not the standard. The most spiritual person you know is not the standard. Who's standard? God's expectation is the standard. And the danger of comparing yourself with other persons is that either we come out ahead which means that promotes our arrogance or we come out behind, which diminishes our esteem. But God says they ain't the standard. I'm the standard. If you live up to the potential that I have given me, that I have given you, then you can have the positive pride that will keep you humble because you know you ain't did it is what God does. Ooh, can I drop this on y'all for free? I'm trying not to shout right now. This pride focuses not on your accomplishments, but rather on what God has done with you, through you, in you, and in spite of you. This pride glorifies God, not you. In other words, when you understand what God has done, you don't try to take the glory. Say, look at what the Lord, ah, look at what the Lord has done <laughs> with this fragile, faulty, frail piece of clay. Look at what God has done. Uh, let me, and then he says, then he says, for each shall bear his own load. All right. So remember, I told you I'll draw a line from the word bear in this text to the word bear uh, in, 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 in verse two. Now, now there's a shift. There's a shift. 
there's a shift because as Christians, we test ourselves by carrying our own load. We test ourselves by carrying our good load, our own load. I'm not contradicting verse two because verse two is dealing with helping somebody carry a heavy load. But in this verse, we got to what carry our own load. Come unto me, all you are, who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. For what? For my yoke is easy. Ooh, I'm trying not to shout. And my burden is what? Light. All right. So, so Paul is saying, because, because watch, watch, watch this circle. Watch this beautiful circle. Paul is saying, we ought to help bear one another's burdens. Here he is saying, each believer ought to carry his own load. It ain't contradictory. Godly, oh, I love how I love how Paul writes. Paul is saying that if you bear your own burden, and if you are helping someone else bear their burden, that if we do this right within the context of the church, the church, the church, the body of Christ, not the culture, the body of Christ, not the culture. This is why church connection is so important. If we do this within the body of Christ, the church, the believers, what winds up happening is as I am shouldering my burden, I got somebody else helping me to shoulder my burden. And as somebody else is shouldering their burden, I'm helping them to shoulder their burden. So guess what? That means that I'm not bearing my burden by myself. You ain't bearing your burden by myself. But as I'm bearing my burden, somebody else is helping me to bear my burden. Just as if you're bearing your burden, you ain't doing it by yourself. Because what? Somebody else is helping you to bear it. In other words, we don't do this thing ultimately by ourselves, even though we share in the bearing of our own load. Why? Because ultimately, the ultimate burden bearer <laughs> is Jesus Christ. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As, as, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, each believer must bear which cannot be shared with others. And, 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 and Jesus helps us with that. But also... What this does is it brings balance between, check this out, personal responsibility and helping others. Uh, laying aside your attitude of being better than somebody, you can help others. Not thinking that you're all that in a bag of chips, you can help others. The problem, the problem, the problem in a lot of situations is that some people think they're better than others educationally, socioeconomically, physically, financially, whatever. Have this air of superiority. We can't help others. But when you understand that we're all called to, first of all, bear one another burdens, and then second of all, to bear our own burdens, then we engage in this circular aspect of being able to grow and become what God would have for us to be. So lay aside your attitude of superiority to be able to help others. I, let me drop this on you all and I'm closing it out. Because y'all may not like what I'm getting ready to say. I can tell how you bear burdens. 
Oh, Lord have mercy. I can tell how you bear burdens. I can look at your checkbook. Your checkbook reveals all that you really believe about your stewardship. I can tell how you bear burdens. I can look at how you help people. That's a reflection of your stewardship. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a reflection of your stewardship. Um, so guess what? As we move toward this aspect of um, bearing one another burdens, we're called to, to be a blessing to others and to help them to overcome what God will have for them to be. All right, I'm done. Um, next week, we're going to pick up on verses 6 through 10, and I'm going to give a correction to how y'all been misquoting uh, verse 7. Uh, I'm going to give a correction to how we've been misquoting verse 7 because, you know, a whole lot of folks have been thinking verse 7 means, you know, what a man sows, that he also reap, and you've been taken out of context. So I'm going to give a major teaching, an in-depth dive, on, on, on next week because that ain't got nothing to do with how you treat folks, but we'll deal with that later. All right. Any questions or comments before uh, I, I close us out? Um, I will say that if you so desire to be a blessing as far as church is concerned, uh, you can do that uh, at this particular time through giving. And you can give either online through ACS uh, or our church website, you can give by sending check, money order, or uh, dropping off cash at the church. Uh, if you decide to drop it off at the church, you can call the church office at 704-334-5309, drop it off. Or you can mail your check or um, money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. Or you can go to Givelify and you can give through Givelify. Uh, however you want to, to be a blessing as far as the church is concerned, you can do that right now. Um, let me just thank each and every one of you all. Uh, I have been getting some pre-anniversary congratulations uh, on tomorrow. Pierre and I celebrate sweet 16. Uh, 16 years of her putting up with me. <laughs> 16 years of, of, of us doing life uh, together. And um, so... Um, uh, thank you all for 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 blessing us and um, may God keep you. And I look forward to seeing you all on Sunday morning. God bless. <laughs>